Reebok is quickly redefining itself, plus Netflix is getting into live sports, and later we'll hear from Kenny Blakeney, head basketball coach at Howard University. It's Wednesday, October 18th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. Reebok had faded into the background in the sneaker and apparel world, but now they are bringing in some huge names to change that. Joining me now to discuss is front office sports writer Doug Greenberg. Welcome, Doug. Hey, Owen. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, fun fun times with Reebok. Yeah, yeah, they they were kind of, I mean, they, it was Nike and Reebok a, a long time ago, and now it's like Nike and then Adidas and then a bunch of other brands. Reebok is, you know, doing everything it can to get back into that conversation. So take us through the Reebok relaunch. What's the latest from this once iconic brand? Yeah, so, you know, a few years ago, uh, let's start, I guess we'll start there. They were acquired by Authentic Brands Group uh, for, I believe it was two and a half billion dollars, uh-huh. uh, something, something like that. Yeah. That's what I've got. Um, yeah. And that was, that was about two years ago. Um, you know, and I think they've just been reworking things for the last couple of years. And then this week they made news, um, because, or maybe it was last week, uh, because they brought on Shaquille O'Neal to be the president of their basketball operations. And they brought on Allen Iverson to be the vice president of their basketball operations. Um, you know, two guys who signed with the brand way back when, um, you know, they, they were both, uh, Reebok endorsers when they were players and now they're both heading up the basketball operations and Shaq made his first big move to sign an athlete by bringing in LSU's Angel Reese. And, you know, you look at it, it's, it's a pretty savvy signing. Um, you know, it's, it's actually pretty remarkable that Reese didn't already have an NIL, NIL deal as like her main, athletic apparel sponsor just yet. Um, but it's, so it's a really, really savvy move. You know, I think Shaq probably leveraged his LSU connection a little bit, um, on that one, uh, in the press release, uh, Angel Reese even called Shaq a mentor of hers. So it's, you know, it's a pretty savvy move and, uh, definitely cool for the, the Reebok brand trying to get back into the game. Yeah, absolutely. And it is surprising that Angel Reese didn't already have uh, an NIL deal with an apparel company. Um, I'm assuming she had plenty of interest and, you know, just was holding out for the right one. Um, And yeah, she's obviously she's young. She's female. She has a big social media presence, perhaps points to the direction that Reebok wants to go as it seeks to rebuild its audience. Yeah. And, you know, you the other big uh, stars in the in the women's basketball game, um, you know, uh, uh, Sabrina Ionescu, for example, she signed with Nike, I think, shortly after turning pro. Um, Caitlin Clark, I believe is signed with Nike. Um, and so I think for Reebok to kind of swoop in here and, and grab probably the next biggest name, um, after Caitlin, I mean, really her and Caitlin Clark are like one, a one B in terms of name recognition in, in women's college basketball right now. Um, so it's a, it's a big move and, and definitely, um, a cool one for a brand that's it's trying to redefine itself. Honestly, the one thing I wanted to talk about here as well is it's sort of reminiscent of what New Balance has been doing. Um, New Balance has also been trying to kind of reinvent itself. They brought in a lot of their their roster of endorsers is really really interesting. They signed uh, they signed Shohei Otani, um, I believe, a few months ago. They have um, uh, Coco Goff in their roster, and she's a great endorser for them. So, you know, it's these brands that are really trying to get back in into the game here. And and it's not that they're they're not signing Patrick Mahomes or they're not signing LeBron James. Obviously, those are two big names, but they're finding these 
you know, these not small names, they're finding big names that maybe people are like, oh, yeah, I really like them, but they're not the biggest names. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And let's also just hit on the the Shaq and AI piece here. Uh, together at last, I guess. I don't think they ever played together in the NBA. Uh, but Shaq is, uh, he's a major investor in Authentic Brands Group. And now he's, I'd say, the face of Reebok. So he's very much intertwined with this business. He really is. And I mean, Shaq has been a savvy businessman for his entire career or his entire, it really you know, part of his playing career and really in his post-playing career, he has been, you know, hugely, hugely smart in his business decisions. Um, so I think for him to kind of like be the face of this brand um, is really cool for him. And it's it's really good for the brand. I mean, Shaq is one of the most marketable, pe- marketable people in sports media at the moment. Uh, sports media, of course, because he is an analyst for TNT. Um, and then there's Allen Iverson, uh, who's He's it's really fun to see him kind of be the VP at Reebok. Um, You know, uh, we were talking about this before the show, but Allen Iverson has a a very unique sponsorship deal with Reebok. If people don't know about this, Um, he signed his initial deal with them during his playing days and he wasn't known for being the best with money. So Reebok basically had a stipulation in the contract that said, we're going to give you a bunch of the money now, but we're also going to put away, I believe it was about 35 million of it. Um, for later. And they said, you know, when you turn 55 years old, which is in 2030, we're going to give you the rest of that money. Um, So, you know, I think AI has been hanging in there financially. Uh, He did blow through a lot of his money as a player. Um, But now he's being employed by Reebok again, uh, as the VP of the basketball operations. And I think that's I think it's just a win win for everybody all around. Yeah, absolutely. And hey, not a bad retirement plan. Um, Doug Greenberg, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Yeah, my pleasure, Owen. Thanks for having me. Netflix has long been the big holdout among major streaming services when it comes to acquiring rights to live sports. Last December, the company's co-COO, Ted Sarandos, laid out their thinking on the topic, saying, we've not seen a profit path to renting big sports. We're not anti-sports, we're just pro-profit. It's worth noting that Netflix is still one of the only profitable major streaming platforms. Well, Netflix has finally found a way to be pro-sports and pro-profit, and it's not from acquiring rights to an existing property, it's by starting a new one. The Netflix Cup will launch on November 14th in Las Vegas in the lead-up to the inaugural Formula One Grand Prix in that city, and it will be a golf tournament that has four golfers featured in the Netflix series Full Swing, Ricky Fowler, Max Homa, Colin Marakama, and Justin Thomas, will each be paired with an F1 driver you may know from the Netflix series Drive to Survive, Carlos Sainz, Lando Norris, Pierre Gasly, and Alex Albin. Essentially, the way Netflix is making sports work them is to make a sport into a giant Netflix commercial. But I do think there's a big missed opportunity here, because what I'd really like to see is F1 drivers racing golf carts. Maybe next time. Speaking of F1... Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and Rory McIlroy joined a group of athlete investors buying into the Alpine F1 team. Also joining were Trent Alexander-Arnold of Liverpool, Juan Mata, who won a World Cup with Spain, and Olympic boxer Anthony Joshua. They are joining a funding round initially announced in June that included investment firms and Hollywood stars including Otro Capital, Redbird Capital Partners, and Wrexham FC owners Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney. The investment totals around $212 million for a 24% stake in the F1 team, which would put the team's value around $900 million. 
Right now, there is basically only one F1 team that wins races. That's Red Bull, which basically wins every race unless there's some kind of malfunction. But that hasn't stopped other teams from competing for fans. And this investment could help Alpine draw fans from Liverpool, Rory McIlroy, the Kansas City Chiefs, and yes, Taylor Swift. Our own Eric Fisher is at the NFL owners meetings, and he got some intel on just how serious the league is about flag football. The NFL wants active players playing flag football when it comes to the Olympics in 2028. The summer games happen during the NFL offseason, but to see the league not just permitting this, but actively encouraging it, tells you all you need to know about how all in they are on making flag a thing. And Trevor May announced his retirement from baseball after a 10-year career that ended with the Oakland A's. May went on Twitch on Monday night to thank the fans and everyone involved with the team, except for its owner, John Fisher, who did not get a thank you, but did get this. Let someone who actually, like, takes pride in the things they own, own something. Take mommy and daddy's money somewhere else, dork. And also, if you're going to be, if you're going to just be a greedy, greedy f own it. There's nothing weaker than being afraid of cameras. So that's one thing I really struggled with this year was not just eviscerating that guy. Players have issues with their owners or their management sometimes. That's nothing new. But I cannot remember any player in any sport with this level of disgust and disdain for his team owner the moment he feels free to speak. Do send me other examples if you can think of any. I'd be curious to see them. I'm also thinking he's not the only A's player we're going to hear from about team ownership before this is all over. Up next, I had a great conversation with Howard University's men's basketball coach, Lenny Blakeney. Howard made the NCAA tournament for the first time in three decades last season, and Blakeney took home the award for Mid-Eastern Athletic Conference Coach of the Year. Now they're building off that with the help of a 20-year commitment from Jordan Brand as they try to turn Howard into an athletic powerhouse comparable to its status as a cultural force. That conversation is coming up next. All right, I am joined now by Kenny Blakeney, head coach of Howard University's basketball team and the Mid-Eastern Athletic Conference Coach of the Year. Welcome, Kenny. Hey, Owen, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing terrific. Thanks for having me. Uh, so, yeah, great to have you on the show. How are you feeling about the upcoming season? I'm excited. Uh, if you'd asked me that question maybe a month after the season, I would have had a totally different answer for you. Uh, we lost three kids in the transfer portal. Uh, and that's kind of the sign in the day of today's uh, college collegiate landscape. But I think we were able to put the pieces back together um, throughout the rest of the school year and throughout the summer where uh, I'm really excited about this team and uh, can't wait to get going on November 6th. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I do want to uh, ask you about that kind of new level of mobility in the in the college world but uh what did it mean for you to make the, for you and the program to make it to the ncaa tournament last year after a very long drought yeah i, I think it was uh, you know we haven't gone to the ncaa tournament since 1992 and uh it's the reason i wanted the job i knew that there wasn't a history at least at the division one level of having some sustainable success and it was one of those things when you're looking at Howard University, Owen, you know, there's been so much that has been accomplished here on this university from the first black Supreme Court justice with Thurgood Marshall to the first black female vice president of the United States with Vice President Harris. Um, 
if you look at the history of our university and the accomplishments of our alums, there's been a lot of footprints that have kind of been covered on this campus, but nothing that has ever said, you know, sustainable basketball success at the Division One level. Along those lines, last year, Howard signed a 20-year partnership with Jordan Brand, which aspires to take the athletic program to a new level. Talk to me about the aspirations for that program and what's in motion around that right now. Yeah, well, Jordan Brand has been an incredible partner. Um, as you mentioned, it's a 20-year deal. And you know their kind of mission with us is that we can be the first HBCU to compete with Power Fives. Um, so they're giving us a lot of the tools that are needed for us to be able to come in and take those steps to develop uh, infrastructure. Um, obviously, everything with their apparel is tremendous. Um, the brand also is is amazing. There's so many people that understand who we are just from the relationship with the brand. And it's gotten us in opportunities uh, throughout you know, the college basketball landscape, either with recruits or events, uh, conversations that has been very beneficial up to this point so far. I think Owen, it's one of the best brands and one of the most recognizable brands, period, not even in sports, but throughout our culture. Um, So to associate the Howard brand along with the Jordan brand, uh, you're connecting two of the largest brands in our culture uh, that really, I think, helps ignite us as an athletic department. You've alluded a couple of times to Howard's place in the culture, and it has, you know, it's, it's got a storied history as a university. That strikes me as an interesting point to come into the NIL era from where, you know, obviously yeah, NIL has opened up a lot of doors for student athletes, but how does it kind of intermix with Howard's place in the culture? Well, I think we're still trying to understand that a little bit. You know, uh, our university has been known for its academic side of the campus. And there's just been a conscious effort over the last couple of years with our outgoing president, Dr. Wayne Frederick, and our current AD, Mr. Kerry Davis, to emphasize athletics. I think when you look at other universities that are great academic universities that have kind of paired the two, um, it's been a relationship that has worked together um, where one has benefited the other. Um, You know, having a chance to be a part of some wonderful teams at Duke University and alum of Duke, um, I saw the benefit of having a great basketball program where, you know, we were able to go to three Final Fours in a matter of four years, two national championships in the early 90s. Uh, When I arrived at Duke, Duke was a top 10 academic school. When I graduated Duke, Duke was the number three or four academic school. And a lot of that goes into you have more applicants because of the visibility and the success of a program. Bookstore revenues increase. You have partnerships and sponsorships that come in that want to be a part of a successful program. Um, alums start to contribute more. So when you have that visibility of success, I think some of those natural partnerships just kind of align. And when you talk NIL, those relationships sort of just kind of take place with those type of opportunities and, and, and specifically with the success of programs. So we're still taking steps. And I think, you know, we're making some headwind into the NIL space. 
there's um, some relationships that we're looking into that are natural relationships uh, that I'm excited about. And we'll see how it goes over the next year. And of course, that also ties back to the recruiting piece that you mentioned before. You lost three players to the transfer portal. And we're seeing this new level of mobility in college sports. Obviously, that that can hurt you when when you lose some good players. But again, Howard's a cultural symbol. It's got a growing presence in the basketball world, and it could be a a real advantage for you going forward. So, yeah, how are you approaching the whole uh, transfer portal world? Well, it's it's a little interesting right now, and it's uh, something that I kind of studied all summer along with our staff. Um, you know, when when we take we the three guys that we lost did so much for our university, and I'm so grateful for them. And they were model students and, and terrific on the for us on the basketball court. They they helped us go from last place to first place in a matter of several years. So um, there's nothing but respect and love for those guys that were part of our program. But when you take high school students and uh, those high school students develop into pretty good college mid-major players, you know, those other programs that may be perceived as higher programs are going to take a look and and be interested. I know how we look at recruiting and, and I'm pretty sure that there's other programs with more resources and capabilities than us probably rev how they do recruiting up a little bit more than we do. Um, so, you know, there's there's a couple different ways you do it all. And do you take a project at our level that a, a young man that you may think you can have in your program for four years um, and grow and develop him in a, you know, kind of a timely, slower way? Um, the, the way that I've kind of looked at it over the last year or last maybe four or five months is I like the transfer route for us. Um, where a young man transfers into your university, he's a one-time transfer. And, you know, for all right, you know, terms, he's kind of locked into your university unless he wants to transfer out and sit a year. So it gives him a little bit more incentive to, uh, I think, make the right choice and to stick it out and grow. And, you know, we allow the way that our system is built, our student athletes to take the easy way out. If things aren't going their way or things may get challenging, uh, we allow them and give them an opportunity to exit too soon. And, you know, sometimes you got to stay and fight through things and fighting through things, getting to the other side may be more rewarding than the path of, you know, least resistance and trying to transfer out. So um, that's kind of how we're thinking about it a little bit and how we're looking at it. I, obviously, I think there's no uh, right way in terms of there's there's going to be a lot of different ways to do this, um, but it just what works for the program, what works for the culture, what works for the university, because with us, if we bring in a student athlete on that uh, might be in his junior or senior year and credit-wise transferring from one university to the, the, to, to the other, to our university, will his credits transfer all over? Um, so there's so many different variables that we kind of have to consider academically. We're one of the top 100 schools or so. Will that young man fit in our university? Will he fit in our culture as a basketball program? How will his credits transfer in? So there's some moving pieces to this that we have to be very thoughtful with as we're considering taking transfers that are coming from other institutions. Yeah, that's a really good 
uh, picture of the whole landscape. I mean, the NCAA rules around if you transfer a second time, you have to sit out a year. That gives you a good amount of certainty when you get a a player transfer that they're going to be there. And also you've seen them already at the collegiate level. So, but yeah, then there's those other variables that honestly I hadn't thought about too much of yet. How well do they fit into your program? How do they fit into the school? You know, is is it all going to work out? And of course that always is going to, those are going to be issues when you get someone from high school, but the high schooler has chosen Howard over the the universe of universities that they could have gone to. So yeah, uh, like you said, a lot of moving parts. Um, do you have a sense of where your program is, your trajectory? Where are you going to be in, say, five years? Yeah, I think in five years, we're, we're in a great situation. Um, you know, we're looking at things with our infrastructure. Um, we have a practice gym that will be complete in the next maybe 15 to 30 days. Um, everything's done. They're doing the floor right now with putting down the lines and the paint and coating it and all those good things. Um, we have new locker rooms that are going to start, I think, in January. We have new offices that are going to be planned and the money raised for that that's going to be starting soon. So when you start with just the infrastructure of things, um, young student athletes want to see that because they see what other universities and their friends are um, the bells and whistles that they have, and they want those same things. So we're developing the infrastructures where young men um, and, and women on, on, our, on our female side as well won't have to compromise anything by choosing Howard. Um, you know, I, I think by that time, our NL, NIL um, structure will be in. We have a, uh, a chief program strategist, Daniel Marks, that was with the Milwaukee Bucks for nine years that is a little bit of his baby. And he's done such a good job in that area, along with others that, you know, as we continue to develop relationships and continue to have more uh, visibility and success um, in the basketball space, I know those opportunities will come. Um, We have a very fertile recruiting space in Washington, D.C. At one point in time, we had more NBA players in the uh, league than any other area in the country. I know Kevin Durant and other guys from the area did a, a documentary a documentary movie called In the Water. Um, and I think at that same time, we might have had more Division One basketball players uh, in, in college than other areas. So we have an incredibly fertile recruiting ground here. Um, you know, I would love to see that we continue to build on our infrastructure and do some more renovations, either with our gym or take the next phase and to build a gym. Um, you know, Jumpman has the same vision as we do as a program and as an athletic department. So I know their uh, interest is very much aligned with ours. And as we continue to build the infrastructure, certainly I think we can get continue to build players. I mean, I think right now we have uh, three power five players that have transferred down from uh, those universities. We have Seth Towns that was at Ohio State last we have Marcus Dockery, who was at the University of Maryland, and Dom Campbell from Notre Dame. We have other young men at some point in time were as highly ranked as 20 or 25 in the country in their respective class. So, you know, the pieces are kind of falling in place. We just have to continue to try to build as we uh, as we grow 
And I really feel like in the next five years that we can be a program that could be a Gonzaga. We can be a St. Mary's. We can be a Loyola of Chicago. We can be a San Diego State where you're talking about mid-major programs that have a chance to go to, you know, deep runs in the NCAA tournament year in and year out. Yeah, absolutely. Those are the questions I wanted to ask you. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Well, Owen, I I didn't have any questions, but I do think this was really cool. Um, You know, I I just I I love where our program is right now. I love our young men um, that we have in our program. We have some terrific guys. And, you know, one of the things that we are very, I think, you know, proud of is that we do a great deal of work in the social justice space um, and also in the community we probably do more community service work than any university in the country. And that's not, you know, talking out the side of our neck. That is a fact. Um, And our university was developed on social justice. And we really feel like, you know, what our university's mission is and how they have done things in the past, we're certainly aligned with. We work with uh, Black Maternal Health last year was our social justice initiative. And, uh, you know, I, I thought that the, the work that our young men put in uh, in that black maternal health space was one of the reasons that we were able to win the championship in the MIAC and go on to the NCAA tournament. It was a very serious topic, very serious initiative, and it made our young men have uh, and take a deep dive in something that was bigger and I think serious to them. When you look at the black maternal rate around the country, black women are anywhere between two to four times more likely to have issues either at the time of childbirth or after childbirth. So it was really important for us as a program to um, understand that, do a deep dive in getting all the education and the knowledge on that and go out and do the work, which we did. And uh, I was so proud of our guys and from that, our pre- our program and our players were, I think, well recognized um, from pieces on 60 Minutes. We were recognized from all the female ambassadors here uh, globally um, and uh, given an award for that. Um, we had an opportunity to be on some panels with Vice President Harris. We did a lot of work here on campus with our campus community. So I was just really um, proud of the work that we were able to do in that black maternal space last year. Yeah, that's very inspiring and and wonderful that you guys did that and and hopefully a, a model for other programs. Kenny Blakeney, really enjoyed the chat. Good luck on the season and thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you, Owen. I appreciate doing this. That's it for today. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. We're coming at you every weekday. Thanks for listening. We will see you tomorrow.